0: Welcome to DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm DT Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Far Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at DTKane.com. Here's the show. Part 2. Chapter 3. Ten Years Later. Baz was walking down one of the streets in Lower Erstwile, out on yet another errand for Deliritus. It was cloudy, as it almost always was there in the shadow of the Daggers, the mountains to Erstwile's immediate east. The perpetual lack of sunshine did nothing for one's spirits, and the wind sliced right through Baz's dark, closely cropped hair. And scribes forbid if a speaker were caught wearing a hat that covered the brand on his forehead. His ears were cold, and it was giving him a headache. What he'd give for a cloak with a hood. Lower erstwhile was really just any part of erstwhile outside its nine libraries, which were positioned on small rises scattered throughout the city. Xavier Library, the city's largest having control over the original collection of spoken books written by Helfax Erstwhile himself, sat at the center, with the others arrayed about it. It was the city's prime, really only, landmark, a single tower of dark stone punctuating the city skyline, lightning rods at the top emphasizing how much taller it was than any other structure in the city. A door suddenly flew into the street, nearly flattening Baz as he jumped from its path. It had literally flown right off the hinges, lying flat on the spot Baz had occupied just a moment before. A ruddy-faced man peered out from the now-exposed doorway of the house to which the door belonged. "'Torn pages, man!' Baz shouted. "'There's people who'd prefer to keep breathing out here.' "'No need to curse, young sir. Just trying to fix my door is all.' Baz eyed the door. It had landed in a puddle, and he suspected water wasn't the only thing in it. This wasn't a particularly well-off part of the city. Not that any part of Lower erstwhile was particularly well-off. Well, I'd say your efforts are headed in the wrong direction. The ruddy man's face darkened. He opened his mouth to utter what Baz hoped would be a colorful curse. He'd had little excitement that day, or month, or really, the past decade— But then the man's eyes found Baz's forehead, then progressed over his robes. Torchsire couldn't afford the fine silk robes some other libraries put on their speakers. Baz wore ordinary black cloth with the same rune as on his forehead stitched over one breast, and the crest of Torchsire Library, a pair of crossed, smoking torches with a book between them, on the other, stitched in gold on a burgundy background. The man made the warding gesture of the Trinity, cupping his hands together and opening them like a book, then raising three fingers to his lips. Apologies, I didn't realize you were a speaker. I'll be more careful. If you wouldn't, er, mention this to your duke, I'd appreciate it. Uh, certainly. The man knuckled his forehead and gave a short bow to Baz. A bow? Didn't he realize Baz was a slave, with less freedom than the man himself had? and he was worried about Baz mentioning this incident to the Duke, as if Baz ever talked to the Duke. "'Can I give you a hand with your door before I get moving on?' Baz asked. Not that he particularly wished to help the man after he'd nearly flattened him, but Baz would do just about anything to stay outside the dreary walls of Torchsire Library a few minutes longer. The ruddy man wrung his hands, looking up and down the street, suddenly looking as if he wished to be elsewhere.' ''Help?'' he asked, edging away from Baz. ''Not sure I, er, need your talents, young sir.'' Baz flinched before he realized the man was simply displaying the general trepidation Illitz showed around speakers, not suggesting that Baz could actually read and cast spells on his own. ''Do you have a hammer?'' Baz asked. ''Looks like you just need to drive the bolts back into the hinges to get the door on.'' ''A hammer?'' ''Sure.'' Baz said, you know, the tool that's flat on one end has a claw on the other and a longish handle. Oh, the man said, I don't really have tools. Usually there's a reader from Xavier that comes through once a week with his speakers. I'll ask him to fix whatever needs it around the house. But lately, well, his prices have gotten a little too much for me. That was a subtle insult, though Baz doubted the man grasped that. His house was closer to Torchsire Library than it was Xavier. The Duke would squat and lay bricks if he knew Xaviers were coming this far into Torchsire territory and collecting speaking fees. Not that Baz really cared about that. Whether Torchsire was rich or poor, his life wasn't going to change. What really made Baz shake his head was the man's utter lack of self-sufficiency, though he could hardly blame the ruddy-faced man for that. The libraries liked it that way the ill depending solely on them for even the simplest of tasks. Come on, Baz sighed, walking up to the man. Show me the bolts to the door, I'll give you a hand. The man hesitated a moment longer, but finally relented, and he stepped aside to let Baz enter his house. The interior was small and cramped, with hardly any furnishings. A table and two chairs were shoved into one corner, a small cot opposite them. A third chair with a broken leg lay beside the fireplace on the opposite wall. A couple of exposed shelves held a few sacks of flour and a couple loose potatoes, but were otherwise bare. It was little better than the alcove Baz had in the basement of Torchsire Library, though the man did at least appear to have a feather mattress. "'Here,' said the man, handing Baz a box. "'I put the bolts in here, though I can't remember which ones are which now.' Baz lifted the box's lid and grimaced. It was full of fasteners—screws, nails, rods. He prodded at a few items before looking up to the man. Couldn't you label them or something? The man narrowed his eyes. What's this, a test? Trying to get me admit to a crime? A crime? Baz asked. Don't play dumb with me, young sir. Accusing me of being able to label things. Might as well call me a cuss. I'm a law-abiding citizen, I'll have you know. Never even looked at the page of a book. Bass saw his mistake. Even speakers like him were permitted to learn rudimentary markings in the common tongue to help with the mundane tasks of life. For instance, he couldn't very well pick up packages for Deliritus and pay for them without being able to decipher the bills of lading. But illits weren't even permitted that. Society had tried that once after the burning but to such disastrous results that a second burning had occurred just two decades later. "'I'll kindly ask you to leave my home, young sir.' Baz didn't bother arguing. He set the box down and left without a word, continuing on to his intended destination, which only took him a few minutes to reach. The Conservator's Chapel, or Conservatory, sat in the shadow of Xavier Tower, though it was probably the second tallest building in the city.' It was a round structure topped by a dome of faded blue slate. Its outer walls were separated into an upper and lower layer. The lower level was made of brick and had four arched entryways around its exterior, topped by triangular gables above each lintel. Farther up were windows, a small square one topped by a taller rectangle, repeated around the circumference. In between each pair of windows were two decorative columns that supported a balcony that ran along the domed roofline. Baz paused at one of the entrances and sighed. The conservators were a stuffy lot, which didn't mix well with his tendency for speaking too much at the exact wrong time. Still, they had supplies the needed for his impending journey, and the Torchsire air would only send Baz right back here if he didn't return with them. So in Baz went. He squinted at the glare, waiting for his eyes to adjust. The conservatory's interior was unbelievably bright, nearly everything made of clean white stone. It was shaped like a cross, with short halls leading from each entrance to intersect in a central atrium. The walls were lined with two-story bookshelves, split in half by balconies that formed a second level. The shelves were mostly empty, with the occasional grouping of books here and there. None of them actually belonged to the conservators. Their vocation was the art of restoring spoken books. The books' inks faded as the spells were read from them, the elements infused within them deteriorating with each use. Eventually, the books wouldn't work at all until they were re-inked, a costly and time-consuming process that only conservators knew. The center of the atrium was occupied by a large statue made of white, polished porcelain It had a round, winding body like a worm, though it had limbs. One end terminated in a massive head with gaping jaws and eyes, each as large as the moon. The body was covered in writing inlaid with gold. It was gibberish, though legend told that words of the Trinity had been tattooed upon the hides of the actual creatures. Book dragons, the great assistants of the scribes. None had been seen since the burning— some three hundred years prior. Beneath the statue was a group of men in white robes conducting a ritual. Baz looked around for someone else who might be able to assist him, but seeing no one, he headed for the gathering by the statue. His steps echoed across the chapel's marble floors. Red swirls in the white stone reminded Baz of bloodstains. Scribes, watch over us! One of the men was intoning as Baz approached. He was reciting from a book propped up on a pedestal. Baz took great care to keep his eyes off it. The conservators were the only other people in oration able to read, as their function in society demanded they understand both the common tongue to study the Scrivenic scriptures, as well as the languages of the Trinity so that they could restore spoken books. "'Protect us from the dark ones,' the other men chanted in reply. "'Scribes maintain the barrier.' the leader said. The barrier between this world and the elsewhere beyond. So it is written. So it shall be. The men fell silent, heads bowed. Baz waited for the ceremony to conclude, but the men continued to just stand there, the sigil of quill and inkwell stitched over their breasts in gold thread glistening in the atrium's brightness. Uh, pardon me? Baz's voice seemed to reverberate around the domed ceiling. In unison, all the men looked up and favored him with equally annoyed glares. "'Speaker!' said the leader, tone matching his vexed stare. His white robe was crisply pressed and starched, head bald, save for dark wisps strewn with gray about his ears. "'You dare interrupt the daily worship?' Baz shrugged. "'Sorry, but I'm on library business.' Reader torch Torchsire told me you had supplies that he needs for the upcoming Actus Trials. You'll need to wait, the conservator said through gritted teeth. I will? Baz asked. The conservator's upper lip twisted. How dare... Bastion! A woman's voice drowned out whatever name the conservator had been about to call Baz. Oh, Bastion, what are you doing here? They told me you were supposed to be down at the markets. It was Librarian Liana her voice like a mistuned bell sounding on rest day. Ugh. That wasn't fair. As far as people went, she was a step above almost everyone else Baz spent time with. Though, considering most of his time was spent solely in the presence of either Deliritus, rocks, or more likely than not, both of them together, that wasn't saying too terribly much of her. Each library had one or more librarians, conservators skilled in restoring spoken books who were assigned to work at the library, and Lyanna was torch sires. In addition to her restorative duties, she helped take care of those the duke liked to call his retired speakers, ones who had outlived their usefulness for one reason or another, save for still being able to produce children who might inherit the traits of the bound, those able to unlock the power of the spoken books and thus become speakers. That meant Baz saw a fair bit of her, since he spent as much time with the retired speakers as he could manage. She had a workshop in the sub-basement of Torchsire Library, where she could perform less complicated restorations that didn't require the book to be brought to the journeyers and luminaries, the conservator ranks above librarian, here at the conservatory. She was tall, taller than him, which Baz pretended didn't bother him, even though it most certainly did. She had deep chestnut hair that fell in a pleasant way down to her shoulders, and deep amethyst eyes, and a nice smile, and, well, all right. So there wasn't much to dislike about her, except that she was just, well, so burning nice to him. It drove Baz nuts. She wore a habit with a hood, Baz noted with minor jealousy, in the colors of torch sire, burgundy, and gold, marking her as a sign to that library. Only the large symbol of inkwell and pen stitched to the back of the garment marked her as a conservator, not an actual member of the Torchsire family. "'I'll take care of him, Master Restorer Brenneton,' Liana said to the conservator who was still leering at Baz. She put an arm around Baz's shoulder and steered him toward the nearest exit. "'But Deliritus's supplies,' Baz said. "'Later,' Liana murmured through the smile plastered on her face. If you say another word, the Master Restorer is likely to give you a penance. Would you like that? Bass considered a few retorts, like calling Liana by her true title, Librarian. She hated that, as it reminded her of her lowly rank. She was always going on about her aspirations for advancement, her yearning to be raised to a journeyer who worked on far more complex tasks in the conservatory itself. But instead, Bass shut his mouth, permitting Liana to lead him back outside. He'd never admit it aloud, but Liana was right. Baz had annoyed the wrong conservator once or twice in the past, and each time had gotten him an entire day of standing with his face to a blank wall, repeating the same prayers to the scribes over and over. You'd think they'd be a little more understanding, Baz muttered once they were back outside. Deliritus leaves for the trials in just a couple days, and I know even the conservators take a keen interest in the trials. Lyanna shrugged. "'Respect to the scribes above all else, Bastion. "'You should know that. "'You're right, though. "'It is all the conservators are talking about right now. "'What new-spoken books will the competitors bring back this year? "'Hope you aren't getting your hopes up,' Baz said. "'There are only three competitors going out this year, "'and likely is not at least one of them is bound to end up dead. "'Hopefully it'll be delirious, so I won't have to deal with him anymore.'" "'Bastion! "'What? "'It's just statistics.' I may not be allowed to read, but I can do simple math. Liana pursed her lips. It's too bad you aren't going with him. I don't... Hey! She grinned. I didn't really mean it that way, but that was good, wasn't it? But really, it is a shame. I think he's afraid to really use you, you know? Bess frowned. No. What do you mean? She shrugged. Just because, well, of your brother, I mean. Even the stop rune doesn't prevent a destroyer from turning the initial reading of a spell on his reader. (laughs) Ha! And get a shave from Rox's razor for my troubles? I might dream of waking up in the morning to discover that Deliridus has jumped off Xavier Tower, but I value my breath a lot more than to be foolish enough to turn a spell on him. Lyanna huffed. Well, I still think it's a shame he doesn't value your talents. Yoltak said... "'Let's not talk about my brother, all right? "'What did you come running all the way down here to tell me, anyway?' "'Oh, right. "'They need you over at Xavier Tower right away.' "'At the Tower?' "'He'd only been there a few times to escort Deliritus or the Duke "'to a meeting of the Table of Enia, "'which was made up of the nine dukes or duchesses, "'one from each library, who governed erstwhile.' "'Readers never wanted to be without at least one of their speakers,' though Baz was rarely taken unless no one else was available. As Liana had pointed out, the Liritus preferred to use Baz for any task at all other than reading, and Baz was relatively certain the Duke didn't even realize he existed. Some days, Baz wondered if he could speak the words at all anymore. That's how infrequently he was called upon to perform a speaking. Yeah, Liana replied, it's really exciting. They've caught a cityless A cityless not much excited Baz, and it'd be a stretch to say even this excited him. But a cityless? At a minimum, it was the most interesting thing that he'd heard so far that day, likely that month. Quite interesting. All right, welcome back everyone to DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Hope you all enjoyed Chapter 3 there. Just going to give you a quick personal update like I do uh, every episode here, and then we'll dive right into our discussion. Uh, let's see, on the, uh, the book writing front, uh, Part 2 of the Spoken Books Uprising is still in the queue with my editor, and I am continuing uh, to work my way through Part 3 as well, doing my own personal uh, handwritten edits last week as I shared... Uh, last episode, my format, my personal format for editing my own books is first draft, then I, um, do another pass-through on the computer where I just read through it. You know, I usually leave myself a bunch of notes as I'm drafting, and I address all of those notes and give it a read-through, and then I print it out, edit it by hand, and then it goes off to my, uh, my third-party editor to, uh, so she can, uh pick up on a bunch of things that I inevitably uh, miss in my passes. Um, Also as I said last episode by the time you all hear this the Actus Trials will be available for purchase. Uh, You know pretty much anywhere you can buy ebooks which is very exciting but it's uh, a little bit overwhelming for me right now because while it's going to be available by the time this is published right now as I'm recording I'm in the midst of getting everything ready for late release and there's a uh, bunch of moving parts <laughs> to keep track of there's always uh one more error in the manuscript to fix or one more box to check uh, it seems so a uh, bit of a bit of a tiring week here personally for me so far but it's uh, all gonna be worth it come uh, come Friday uh, when uh, the book is finally out there in the world so nothing uh, nothing quite as exciting for an author as actually uh, holding the uh, finished book in your hands. Um, I probably won't have the actual print copy on uh, Friday, but uh, as soon as I do have one, I'll uh, I'll be sharing it here on, on, on the YouTube's. So uh, you know, if you're not if you're not watching on YouTube right now, maybe uh, consider uh, checking out checking out the video over at YouTube at some point. Um, one other thing before we hop into our discussion of chapter three, just wanted to spend a minute discussing uh, you know why I'm doing this podcast. At all, um, you know, and and to be totally frank with all of you, I mean, part part of it is, uh, you know, I'm hoping to sell more books by getting by getting my name out there and uh, you know getting into as many ears uh, as I can. But uh, that's really not it's not my only goal here. You know, as as a uh, novel writer, as I'm sure you can guess, I've thought about my writing. Uh, a whole lot you know for a long time i was uh, in denial about even putting uh, the proverbial pen to paper as it were you know writing wasn't something that normal people do you know that's something only famous famous authors do um but uh you know i've realized uh you yeah, know several years ago well, more probably more than several years ago at this point but that's not the way to think about it you know some some writers out there probably are truly blessed, and uh, they just uh, they just vomit amazing prose out onto the pit. prose. They just vomit amazing prose out onto the page without a second thought. But uh, uh, you know, most most famous authors um, or successful authors, uh, even if they are talented, it's usually their tenacity that they're writing to uh, to success. You know, I always uh, uh, Stephen King has his famous memoir slash writing guide called On Writing. I just remember him, you know, his story, you know, writing his writing his novels like sitting on top of the washing machine in his tiny little uh I think it was a trailer that that he was living in with his wife at the time. Um, you know, and just that kind of, you know, sticking with it no matter what kind of attitude is is what gets you somewhere and you know, really the fact is for me, even even if I never made a dime for my writing, I've got all these stories up in my head that I, you know, I want to I want to tell them to other people. So you know this is uh you know my writing is one way I can do that and uh i'm hoping this podcast now is another way i can do that and you know hopefully give a few people a good time with my stories maybe inspire a couple of people along the way you know reading was a reading was a big thing for me growing up uh you know when i got good at reading it really helped build my confidence and uh you know a lot of my success in life really stems from my from my passion for for reading so you know maybe i can pass that on to to a few more people and if i sell some more books well great that would be awesome too maybe at least uh at least enough books to cover the the costs of producing uh this podcast and and the books i write every year that would be cool but like i said if not well at least at least other people are are hearing my stories so that's uh i guess that's enough chit chat here for now we can uh we can talk more about uh my reasons for the podcast another time but let's get into our our book club discussion here on chapter three of the Actus Trials. Uh, right, so beginning of chapter three, so this starts part two of the book, uh, and right off the bat, we're told that this is ten years later. You know, as as a general rule, I I don't really like giving such express express cues uh, in my writing. I like to like to kind of trust my readers. That's all of you out there, right? Readers or, or listeners, <laughs> I guess. I like to trust you to be sharp enough to kind of figure things out, but I couldn't really think of a good way to do it here without spending a whole lot of otherwise needless words on it. So, so there you go. You got that guidepost. We're we're ten years later from uh, from that scene in chapter two with uh, Baz's brother and Liritus and Rocks there in the uh, in the speaking room. Um, you know, it starts off, we hear, we see Baz is, uh, running errands for Delirtus, so apparently Baz, if he did suffer any punishment for what happened that day ten years ago, uh, he's still Deliratus' slave, um, and obviously he is, uh, he's still running around and he can still see, so, um, you know, more details to come on his relationship with Delirtus in the upcoming chapters. But uh, we do learn Torch Sire is still poor, apparently. Baz notes he's not wearing silk robes like the speakers from some other libraries. He's just got ordinary black cloth. He's got the pair of uh, sigils stitched on the front, which are symbols, for those of you not familiar with the term sigil, though I imagine most of my fantasy fans out there are. Uh, one of them is this uh, crossed pair of torches with a book in between, and we learn that's the symbol for Torchsire Sire Library. Which a bit of an odd symbol, right? Uh, usually, in fact, I think the lyricist even referenced this in chapter two. You want to keep fire away from books, right? Particularly books that are as valuable as the ones in this world. Uh, so we'll, uh, you know, there must be a story behind that symbol. So we'll have to wait and see. And the other symbol on Baz's cloak, uh, which we've already learned, marks him as a destroyer, uh, is the uh, the dragon. Remember, destroyer is one of the, the three types of speakers. Uh, along with uh, creators and influencers. Uh, <laughs> and Baz makes this point to lament the lack of a hood on his cloak, right? You know, uh, readers don't want speakers uh, hiding, what they're, uh, you know, hi- hiding what they are by covering the brands on their foreheads. Uh, and this sort of has the effect of making hats a sort of status symbol here, right? You know, speakers cannot wear them, uh, and we saw Deliritus was wearing a giant hat, and uh, we're soon going to see that uh, most other readers wear these big hats uh, as well. So uh, you know a little a little symbolism going on here. These hats are kind of like you know one of uh, you know one of the freedoms denied uh, denied to speakers among many other things. Uh, in these opening paragraphs, uh, we also learn. I may have actually. I may have noted this in in chapters one or two. I can't. I can't recall. But you know, we learn for sure that there are nine libraries in Erstwhile, right? And if 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 this hasn't gotten across yet, the libraries. These are like the nine houses, the nine powerful families, you know. But they're they're libraries because everything's about books in uh, in the land of oration, right? Uh, we learn that Xavier Library is the largest. It's got this big tower that's the prime landmark in the city. And they apparently hold Halifax Erstwhile's original collection of spoken books. Uh, we don't get any other details about who Halifax was here, but obviously he's the city's namesake, so must be uh, must be someone important. Uh, and uh, we're going to learn more about him very shortly here. All right. So those are the opening paragraphs, and then we move on to the first of the three major interactions Baz has in Chapter Three. Um. Bess has a bit of an abrupt run-in with a with a peasant here, right? And peasants are called illits in this world, uh, short for short for illiterate, right? Yeah, illits. Uh, did you like how I wrote <laughs> the start of this scene? I I love this. Maybe maybe I've just got a stupid sense of humor, but uh, but it makes me laugh. <laughs> a door suddenly flew into the street. Now, I'm sure most of you thought this was metaphorical, right? You know, like someone opened the door very quickly, but no. Literally, the door goes flying off its hinges and nearly flattens Baz. And and uh, through this, we get our introduction to the fine art of swearing and oration. Torn pages! Baz cries as he jumps back from the door. <laughs> You'll notice that most of the curses in the world are related to bad things happening to books, which uh, I just think that's a fun way to get creative which, with language, inventing curses like that. Uh, I don't really have anything against it. Usual swearing. I swear in everyday life, and uh, you know, I'll probably swear occasionally here on the podcast uh, as well. But in writing, you know, sometimes it just seems a little lazy to me, particularly in fantasy, where you can you know, you, you kind of have freedom to invent things like this, right? And uh, you know, most of our curse words in real life don't make a whole lot of sense if if you think about them in the context that we use them in. So, you know, here I'm linking them back to something really bad happening to books, which, uh, again, a book being destroyed would be one of the worst possible things that can happen in this society that treasures them so highly, right? Uh, And I'd be interested to hear what all of you think about this. Uh, Drop me a comment on YouTube or shoot me an email, dtkane at dtkane.com. You know what I'd really love? Uh, You know, some of you listeners out there suggest some other creative curses for me that are centered around bad things. Uh, happening to books Uh, I would uh, (laughs) I would love to see the ideas uh, that you have maybe I'll uh, if anyone comes up with some really good ones maybe I'll even throw them into a a future book in the uh, in the series Uh, right so the man who comes out of the house that's now doorless Uh, like I said he's an illit basically a peasant who can't read remember no one except the readers uh, in this society can read and he's essentially helpless right I mean, this guy doesn't even know what a hammer is when Baz asks him if he has one. And uh, that's not an accident or an isolated incident, right? This guy is not unique. Baz, Baz's comments kind of make that clear. The libraries like to keep the illits dependent on them. Uh, we already saw that they make money by having the illits come to them for readings, and now we also see that the libraries also send speakers out into the city to perform readings that the illits need for things as simple as fixing a hinge on a door other things that are broken around the house. You know, kind of this kind of the typical sort of mandated dependency in an oppressive government, right? If you need the government, you really can't rise against it, right? Uh even if it's corrupt because, you know, if you know, if you're if you're attacking something you need, that's that's going to make it a lot less likely that you're going to rise up against it. So, we see some of that going on here. And uh we also see some suggestions of a rivalry between Xavier Library and Torchshire Library here briefly too. Xavier's encroaching on Torch Sire's turf. The Ill at saying he usually pays Xavier's to read and fix things for him, even though he's in Torchshire territory, according to Baz. Um, that's just a little aside here in the text, but uh, you know, like like most things, usually things don't get into <laughs> don't get into my writing by accident too often. You know, sometimes I'll just slip something in because I think it's neat or cool or interesting. But uh, this is going to be a little relevant here pretty soon as well, so just keep that in mind. And we also get the uh, <laughs> get this interesting little interaction where the Illid actually shows some respect to Baz uh, because he doesn't want to get in trouble with Baz's duke. And <laughs> Baz is a bit flabbergasted by this, right? Uh, you know, but again, it just goes... Th- you know, it goes to show how far the the thumbs of the readers are on these illits, right? You know, they you know the this illit is afraid of getting in trouble because he you know maybe being disrespectful to one of the dukes the duke's slaves. So you know the, the, the illits really they don't seem to be much better off than uh, than the speakers like Baz are here. Uh, maybe even worse off. Um, You know. Uh, for Baz's part, <laughs> he internally notes that he he's never even spoken to the Duke, right? So the Illot's worries are really entirely misplaced here. You know, maybe a little more too. We're seeing, you know, the Illit's maybe don't even really grasp how the upper echelon so- society, um, really work. Which you know, another way to keep people oppressed, right? They don't even know how the government is is working. It's hard to know whether it's working well or not. Uh, you know, despite all this, we see Baz offer to help this guy with his door. Uh, internally, we see Baz deny he's really interested in helping, right? He's just looking for any way to get out of his chore that he's running for Deliritus. And, uh, you know, this is something we're going to see Baz do a lot of. He's You know, he denies his true feelings even when there isn't really anything wrong with them. This is going to be kind of a recurring thing with Baz. He's got a lot of self-denial going on in his life. Um, but, you know... Think back to chapter two. We saw Baz helping that old woman with that uh, the little chick that she dropped. You know, Baz is uh, <laughs> Baz has plenty of issues. Some that we've already seen, more that we'll see here uh, in the future. But you know, deep down, he's he's a pretty good dude. Uh, even even if he denies it, I don't really think there's too many spoilers uh, in that statement there. Uh, of course, you know, even though Baz tries to help the the illit here with his door things go south in a hurry and the man hands him this box full of various fasteners you know Baz kind of you know jumbles around in it for a minute right and then he's like you know dude why don't you just label this you know <laughs> this is a, this is a big mess and this illit he is immediately offended you know saying that Baz is essentially just accused him of a crime and uh, again we're driving home this point here no one knowing how to read you know Baz has just implied that you know well, you know, why don't you just use some sort of language here to mark these? Uh, and just reminding, just reminding everyone here, uh, again, through this kind of silly interaction you know, of how readers are the only people who are permitted to read in this world. Uh, and we can see by this guy's reaction just, uh, just how conditioned he is to abhor even the idea of reading. I'm a law-abiding citizen, this guy says. Never even looked at the page of a book, and then he promptly kicks Baz out of his house. Um, you know, and then from there, Baz goes to the conservatory. But just other one other quick note here before before we go there, Baz makes this brief note of the burning, and then also that there was a second burning shortly thereafter. So two, two, two burnings. Uh, no real details on what those were yet, uh, other than apparently society for a short time tried to let others learn to read between these first uh, and second burnings and. That didn't work for whatever reason. Uh, So, you know, obviously there's some pretty significant backstory here, but um, we'll hear a lot more about that uh, soon. So tuck that away for now and stay tuned. All right, so let's move on to uh, the conservatory, which is where kind of the second major interaction here of the chapter occurs. Uh, This is where Baz is apparently running this errand for Deliratus. And uh, give you a pretty detailed description of the outside of the building. Uh, a lot of the time, you know, aside here, uh, we're we're pulling the curtain back here for a minute. But uh, a lot of the time, I'll look for real life buildings to model structures after in, in my writing. You know, uh, you know, good writers, uh, good writers borrow, great writers steal. Right? Someone said that I think at some point. So. Uh, but it's not stealing if you, uh, if you make it your own, right? Someone else said that. I should, I should figure out who said those things and, uh, maybe I'll give them credit in the, uh, in the show notes here. Uh, for the conservatory, the, the outside is modeled after, uh, Bod Bodleian, Bodleian Library, uh, in England. You know, this is uh, (laughs) an aside on the aside, right? You know, you know there are two kinds of people, right you know people who uh, read books and people who listen to books and you know the people who listen to books can't spell anything, and the people who read books can't pronounce anything out loud, right? So I've only ever read the the names of these places so but Bodleian Library in England, which is in Oxford, I believe that's what the outside of the conservatory is modeled after, and uh, the inside is modeled after the uh, Biblioteca de convento di Marfa uh, Mafra. Yeah, in Portugal. Uh, I'll toss a couple of photos up on the screen if you're watching on YouTube, provided I can find some that, are, uh, uh, that aren't that are copywritten. Uh, or at least I'll put the names of those places in the show notes so you can Google them to see what they look like. Um, right, so Bass takes a moment to remind us uh, what the conservators do and how spoken books work here once we get to the conservatory. Uh, remember, the conservators are these people who, uh, they restore the books, right? And only they know, how the, pro- they, only they know the process uh, for restoring books. Uh, Baz tells us, uh, quote, The books' inks faded as spells were read from them, the elements infused within them deteriorating with each use. Eventually, the books wouldn't work at all until they were re-inked, a costly and time-consuming process that only conservators knew. So lots of implication is kind of packed in that short description here. Uh, First, another reminder, again, that the bespoken books deteriorate after each use. And remember, uh, that goes back to the rules of the magic system here. That's because in order to cast a spell, you draw power from the elemental inks uh, that are in the books. And uh, now we're learning this extra fact here that only conservators know how to restore them. So they got to have some pretty significant pull here in society, right? You know, if all the readers uh, have to go to them to get their books fixed, um, you know, that they're pretty important, right? They've kind of got this monopoly going on here, you know. Even though the readers seem to be the people with the with the power here, their power is based on the books, and only can the conservators can, uh, can fix them. You know, and we kind of see that because, right, you know, we get this note that Xavier Tower— uh, is the tallest building in erstwhile, and that belongs to the most powerful library in erstwhile, but then we see the conservatory is the second largest building uh in erstwhile, so they've got a bigger building than even the other libraries um you know further kind of seeing how important the conservators are here, you know Baz enters um and it's pretty impressive inside, right bright marble everywhere it's so bright Baz can't even see. <laughs> And there's this interesting uh, statue uh, in the center of in the atrium, too, right? And Baz calls it a, a book dragon. That, that sounds a little familiar, right? Uh, let me read this description here to you again. Uh, the center of the atrium was occupied by a, by a large statue made of white, polished porcelain. It had a round, winding body like a worm, though it had limbs. One end terminated in a massive head with gaping jaws and eyes each as large as the moon. The body was covered in writing inlaid with gold. It was gibberish, though legend told that words of the Trinity had been tattooed upon the hides of the actual creatures, book dragons, the great assistance of the scribes. None had been seen since the burning, some 300 years prior. You know, maybe I'll make this the, uh, the quest today, too, you know. I don't think this is a very hard one, but, uh, you know, one experience point to everyone who tells me correctly what this statue is referencing from earlier in the book. Uh, Email that answer to me, dtkane at dtkane.com. We also get another reference to the burning here, right? Let me learn it happened 300 years ago, thereabouts, and that the book dragons haven't been seen since. Uh, So, you know, were they all killed? During the burning, or have they gone into have they gone into hiding, or uh, or what? Now we don't know, but uh, just another thing that's you know kind of suggesting this burning, this burning thing wasn't very good. Uh, and then uh, finally, after Bez stops ogling the statue here, we get a look at the conservators for the first time: a bunch of uh, men in white robes conducting a ritual. Uh, the conservatory, member uh, it's also called the Conservator's Chapel. We learned that when Bass first introduces it to us. So we already have this implication that there's maybe some sort of religious aspect to them, and that's really borne out here, uh, right? They're praying to the scribes and asking for protection from the Dark Ones uh, and to maintain the barrier between this world and the elsewhere. So, you know lots of implications here. Maybe the scribes are kind of like gods and the dark ones are what, like the devil or some equivalent. And there's this barrier that the scribes maintain between this world and the elsewhere. You know, the equivalent of hell maybe, right? Uh, the elsewhere. Some, you know, some lore going on here. Um, and, you know, the, uh, the observant reader might remember we did see a reference to the scribes uh, before this back in chapter one. Uh, text mentioned the scribes' grammar. In fact, uh, their father was killed for beginning to grasp the basics of the scribes' grammar. And uh, okay, connection, right? <laughs> so, whoever the scribes were, it appears they were responsible for the languages uh, in the spoken books. And uh, you know, there you go. That's enough to gain some understanding, right there. Why they're worshipped, right? You know, they're the people uh, responsible for creating all these powerful spoken books that all of society uh, is, is, is based around. <laughs> um, and then, sorry, I'm, uh, uh, I was not really laughing, uh, at, uh, why they worship the scribes, but I was reading ahead here in my notes, because we, uh, you know, we get, we get more of a, uh, feeling for Baz's reverend personality here next, right? And, you know, he, <laughs> he comes up to the scribes, uh, you know, they're kind of, there praying, and then they finish their prayer, and they're kind of just standing there with their heads bowed. And you can just imagine Baz here with you know, his arms folded, you know, tapping his foot. You know, what's what's he called them? He calls them a, quote, stuffy lot. And, uh, you know, then, like I said, they they finish their prayer. Don't acknowledge him. You know, he's obviously there waiting for something. And he just sort of juts. He just butts right in, right? Uh, pardon me. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, they look at him, you know, clearly annoyed. You know, they tell him, you yeah, know. You know you're going to need to wait, young man. That's that's not that's not a direct quote, but that's kind of what they say, right? And <laughs> that's his response, right? I will. <laughs> I uh, I, I, geez, I, I wrote that, and I still laugh <laughs> when I hear that. I just I just love picturing him saying that. You know, and he is uh he's about to get into a whole lot of hot water here, right? But uh, then he is saved by the entrance of a new character, uh, Liana, and uh. We learn that she is Torchsire's uh, librarian, right? <clears throat> Sorry, I just need to take a drink there. Uh, so we learn each library has its own conservator that's uh, assigned there to them. Uh, and this kind of makes sense, right? Uh, every time you need a spoken book touched up, you don't have to go running out to the conservatory. You've got kind of some in-house help. Sort of like having a mechanic on call, I guess. Tune up your spoken books! <laughs> Uh, Liana also apparently cares for Torch Sires, uh retired readers, or I'm sorry, retired speakers. Uh, not a lot of detail on what exactly a retired speaker is yet, but Baz says they're speakers who have outlived their usefulness except for breeding because they can produce new speakers. So, right, so one, here's some more evidence of cruelty towards speakers, right? You know, they just keep them around because they can breed, Uh wow, you know, I think we talked about how in chapter one, it kind of seems like the readers treat the speakers like animals, and, you know, some more evidence of that here. And uh, two, kind of built into that, you know, they can't be that old, right? You know, they're retired, but, you know, they can still reproduce, so yet they've outlived their usefulness, even though they're still, they're still that young, so it's still pretty murky here, but you know, but it's it, it's not a great one. You can outlive your usefulness pretty quickly. Apparently, when you're a you're a speaker, a dangerous uh, dangerous position to to be in, uh, for sure. Um. Okay. Why don't we Why don't we quickly review Baz as a description of Liana here, right? Because I think there's some uh, some implication packed into this too. Uh. You know. Remember. <laughs> He groans when he sees her at first, right? You know, and then he kind of backs, you know, he backs it up a little and, uh, uh, you know, well, maybe she's not that bad. So what does he say? Uh, she was tall, taller than him, which Bass pretended didn't bother him, even though it most certainly did. She had deep chestnut hair that fell in a pleasant way down to her shoulders and deep amethyst eyes and a nice smile and, well all right so there wasn't much to dislike about her except that she was just well so burning nice to him it drove baz nuts you know so <laughs> a couple of things here one you know maybe Bez has a little bit of a crush going on here uh i don't know internally he denies even liking her but you know as actually kind of as we already saw with the Illit earlier uh, baz is a little bit of an unreliable narrator um, at least when it comes to his own uh, personal feelings, you know he'll think one thing, but then we'll see his actions really say something else. Uh, so keep keep an eye out for that as <laughs> as as we move on. Also, and <laughs> I like how Baz likes. Yeah, you know, he, he says at one point, uh, you know, as far as the people I usually hang out with. This isn't a direct quote, but something like, you know, as far as the people I usually hang out with, she's not that bad. Though, I usually only hang out with deliratives and rocks. (laughs) So that's not saying too much. Oh, oh Baz. Um, We also learned that Liana's pretty driven, right? Uh, She is uh, aspiring to raise through the ranks, or I guess that rise. My notes are, uh... not grammatically correct here. Rise through the ranks of the conservatory, right? Uh, she doesn't even like being called by her current title because it reminds her of how far she has to go. And uh, Baz is thinking of, like, you know, maybe ribbing her a little by calling her that, even though he knows she doesn't like that. Um, But he decides against that, which seems to say uh, something, right? Because uh, Baz apparently doesn't really have an issue with running his mouth in front of other people. Um, You know, all these conservators who are apparently way above Liana in rank. Baz... <laughs> Baz is a little uh, little snippy with them, but uh he uh, he has some uh you know he has some reticence about uh making fun of Liana here. Um you know, and we <laughs> just to back that up a little more, we see, you know, Liana reference at is he he has run afoul of the conservators in the past and had his had to do penance, right? Staring at the wall all day, uh saying prayers uh to the scribe. So, you know, Baz has gotten himself in trouble here before. Um all right so uh Liana gets Baz out of hot water kind of dra- drags him unwillingly out of the conservatory and we learn in their subsequent discussion as they're walking away from the conservatory that Delirtus is leaving in a couple days for what for uh, the trials oh did you pick up on this if you did ding 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 a plus for the day uh this was one of your homework assignments from the last episode, and here's our reference uh, to the novel's title, right? The Trials, capital T, Trials. The book is The Actus Trials. Uh, And apparently the trials involve competitors leaving the city and bringing back new spoken books. Um, We're going to get more details very soon on the trials, but for now, just a couple notes. Uh, Apparently they're dangerous, right? Baz notes that at least one competitor is likely going to die (laughs) during the trials and uh and he hopes it's Deliritus, right? <laughs> That's what he says. You know, it's a little unclear how serious he's being here, right? What is it, what what does he say when Liana chides him? Uh it's just statistics, you know. <laughs> so there's obviously some uh uh you know, some joking going on here. You know, but also it's it, we've already seen that it's there's really no question that Baz doesn't have a high opinion of delirious, you know, particularly after what happened to Tax uh, back in chapter two. Um, you know, we also see some of the playfulness here between Baz, uh Baz and Liana, you know. You know, she you know, she likes him too, right? <laughs> you know, too bad you aren't going with him, she says to Baz. Uh you know, that's what she says in response to him after Baz says it's likely that someone's gonna die in the trials, you know. <laughs> you know, basically saying, you know, well oh, too bad you aren't gonna go out there and die with him too, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know it's a little playful back and forth here between the two of them. You know, also another interesting tidbit here: we get this revelation uh, that Bass is not going on the trials, right? You know, Deliratus is going, uh, going with uh, with someone else, apparently. Um, and why, well, why is that? Um, you know, Liana has her theory, apparently. Uh, she thinks Deliritus is afraid to use Baz because of, uh, uh, you know, what happened to Baz's brother. You know, so the implication here is that there might be some concern that Baz might try to, <laughs> try to get revenge on Deliratus. Baz, uh, in what we're quickly coming to learn as his characteristic sarcasm says she's being crazy, right? Uh, and get a shave from Rox's razor for my troubles? <laughs> You know, as we've seen, Rox's razor would give you a lot more than a shave. Um, you know, <laughs> but uh, you know that's just, that's just that's just Baz. You know, he's going to respond to things like that over and over and over again. Here, I uh, I hope you find that at least a little uh, entertaining, and it gives you a chuckle uh, now and again because because Baz is going to keep talking like that. Uh, Baz does admit, right, to one point, <laughs> dreaming about Delirio jumping off a tower. Um, so, you know, again, you know, no love lost between Baz and Delirious, it seems, you know, but then he, he kind of abruptly cuts off the conversation, right? Cause you know, there's references to his brother going on here and he makes it clear that, you know, even 10 years later, this is a touchy subject, uh, for him. And, uh, that brings us pretty much to the end of the chapter. Um, you know, Baz turns the conversation to why, well, why, why were you looking for me in the first place? Uh, Liana when she says the has summoned Baz to meet him at Xavier Tower uh, because they've captured a cityless well what is that? Uh, well we don't know at least not yet we're going to learn in chapter 4 but whatever it is it obviously uh, excites Baz you know he ba- pretty much says that it's the most interesting thing that's happened to him in a long time uh, so some motivation here uh, to tune in next week or uh, you know read ahead in your own copy of the actus trials if you if you have one all right so uh, our homework for next week here like i said we'll be reading chapter four which is a uh, a pretty long chapter so probably go a little longer than this episode has been uh we'll see some more interaction between baz and uh, liana so let's see how uh, how their relationship develops here a little she tells a sort of, uh, sappy story to Baz, <laughs> but, uh, which Baz, of course, responds to characteristically, as I'm sure you can imagine, uh, but there's some, uh, important backstory packed into that story as well, so, uh, keep an, keep an eye on that, um, you know, some connections, some connections to the scribes, uh, I'll, I'll tell you there, uh, and obviously we're going to learn more about what a cityless is, and, uh, when we get to Xavier Tower, we're going to see a whole bunch of readers along with their retinues of Speakers and Harbors. So uh, we're going to learn a whole lot more about society in those pages, so pay attention to all that world-building that's going on. We'll have a nice discussion about that next week. And then we'll get around to meeting this cityless who's been captured, and he is not um, exactly being treated kindly. Um, and we're going to see he's muttering some uh, some gibberish, or at least um everyone there seems to think it's gibberish but maybe it's maybe it's not i don't know we'll talk about that next week too and then uh at the end of the chapter baz makes a a pretty pretty big decision uh so keep an eye out for that towards the end of chapter 4 and uh the possibilities that has uh for his character uh okay so there's your homework but as always if you don't do it no problem I will be doing your reading and answering all those questions and more next week. Uh, And speaking of questions, do I have a quick listener question here? Uh, Robert writes, uh, hey, DT, how do you keep track of all the details and characters uh, in your books? Uh, Well, that's an interesting question, Robert. Uh, Thank you. Um, I use uh, OneNote, Microsoft OneNote. And uh, I've got a bunch of different notebooks, virtual notebooks in there. Uh, I kind of, I guess, I guess it's a story Bible, uh, you could call it, you know, but I've got different tabs for a bunch of various things. So I've got a tab with uh, terms, sayings, and idioms from the world. So, you know, some of the major definitions that aren't, you know, you know, aren't definitions I could look up in a dictionary. <laughs> I keep, keep track of there. And then some common things like, uh, some of my creative curses that we went over earlier i got a running list of them uh so if i if i need to insert a curse and i can't think of a good one i'll i'll take a glance at that list and i've got a character list of all the well major and minor characters and usually i just uh you know there's nothing pretty about it but i just kind of paste paragraphs under under the various names that have their descriptions so you know if i wrote about someone you know 20 chapters ago, and I can't remember what color eyes I gave them. I can take a look at that and, uh, you yeah, know, recall I've got a list of all this, the, the symbols from the various libraries that I've created, um, so I can look those up. You know, a bunch of things, a bunch of, you know, research that I've done on various topics. I'll keep little tabs on those so I don't have to keep reinventing the wheel. I keep a notebook for each of the individual books in the series and, you know, not a ton of stuff in those things, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll have my high level outline for the book in there. And then I'll, I'll have a timeline too. actually one of the, and this is usually something I do in, in, in editing. I try not to obsess over this too much when I'm drafting, but, uh, you know, making sure that, uh, chronologically everything, everything makes sense. And, you know, the way they're talking in chapter 25, you know, makes sense based on, you know, the timeline, you know that you know it's been two weeks since we were at x place and now we're at y place um it's it's believe it or not it's kind of hard to keep that straight when you're uh when you're writing so i I keep track of keep track of timelines in there and that's um you know that's really how i do it oh another instrument i have like population (laughs) population calculations or, or distances that's another thing too it's uh It's 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 hard to write about a big epic world if you don't know you know generally how far things away are from each other. So you know I've done some you know rough calculations so um and make sure I'm being consistent when I reference distances uh, in the book as well. So just a little uh little glance behind the curtain there. But uh but thanks for that question. Uh again I you know I hope you I hope you guys find that interesting kind of you know. Seeing seeing some of my some of my process, and in uh, thoughts when that go into my go into my writing, uh, you know, shoot me an email or leave a comment on the video if you find that interesting. If you'd like to hear more about that or, or less about it, I am uh, you know I'm, I'm making this for all of you out there, so uh, you know let me know let me know what you think, and uh, if you have other questions you would like to hear me answer on the show, just uh, shoot them over to me, DT Kane at dtkane.com. All right, uh, let's see, this week's quest, I gave that to you already. Uh, Remember, what is that statue of the dragon and the the conservatory calling to mind uh, from earlier in the book? Email me your answer for one experience point. Uh, And also remember, you have until the first episode of March 2022 to send me your answers for the quests from episodes one and two as well. So if you are listening to this before March 2022, you can send me all those answers to the the three quests I've given out now, and uh, we'll go over all the answers at the beginning of March. And uh, you know, I think I'll I think I'll award a prize at the beginning of March, kind of our inaugural uh, uh, quest quest reward, right? You know, I don't know, is that what they're called in World of Warcraft? Reward quest rewards? I don't I don't know. You know, someone drop the answer to that in the comments. Um, so there's your quest. And then, as always, we will finish with a quote here. This week's comes from uh, the beloved late Terry Pratchett. Uh, you know, you casual fans out, out there might know him best as the co-author, along with Neil Gaiman, uh, from the TV show Good Omens, which was uh, recently a big hit. That was with David Tennant and uh, Michael Sheen. Uh but those of you who are deeper into the fantasy circles probably know Mr. Pratchett best for his Discworld series which is kind of a satirical take on the uh on the fantasy genre. And uh this quote uh is the trouble with having an open mind, of course, is that people will insist on coming along and trying to put things in it. <laughs> oh man. Uh I like that because it's it's funny. It's got some depth to it too, though, uh, and uh, it sounds like something Baz might say. <laughs> so, when I was looking for a good Terry Pratchett quote, that's uh, that's why that one spoke to me. Uh, can definitely see Baz saying that. Maybe I'll try to uh, maybe I'll try to work that into a future book. Some uh, some version <laughs> of that quote that might be fun. So, uh, you can. Uh, if you stay in for the long haul, you know, maybe keep an eye out for that in one of the uh, the future uh, Spoken Books Uprising books. All right, everyone, that is all for this week. Uh, if you've got any questions you'd like me to answer on an upcoming episode, make sure to email them to me. Uh, otherwise, until next time, this has been D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Even the stop rune doesn't prevent a destroyer from turning the initial spell of a spell on a, of a spell of a spell. On his of spell. Ugh. I might dream of waking up in the morning to discover that Deliritus had jumped off Torchsire Library. That's not what it says. <clears throat> yeah, Liana replied. It's uh, this fucking bug. Thanks for listening to DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode. Please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. DT Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for D.T. Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com email dash If you'd like to connect, you can find D.T. Kane on Facebook at D.T. Kane Author or Twitter at D.T. Kane Author or send D.T. Kane an email at dtkane at dtkane.com See you next week!